Hi, this is Lori Denning, and this is my podcast, The 20 Minute Scriptorian, where we follow the Come Follow Me curriculum. I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, and while this is an official, I am a believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. A little bit scholarly, a little bit inspirational, this podcast will attempt to help us become better disciples of Christ. Join me, Scriptorians. Welcome back. Let's pick up where we left off in Alma 36 next on the 20-Minute Scriptorian. So last time we talked a little bit about what was happening in the bigger context of Alma 36 and this deep breath before the plunge that Alma takes before we hit the war chapters, the all-so-important when everything broke down. Uh, Much like our society today, we're going to see a lot of themes that I think we can parallel. Let's jump back into Alma 36 now that we have the context and pick up where he left off. Now, remember, Alma's going to be taking a minute to teach his son, his sons, um, and very similar to, say, Jacob or Lehi or so many of the patriarchs that take a minute to teach their sons uh, some last covenants, some last teachings and here is what Alma the Younger is going to teach his now start starting with Helaman we remember that he discussed a little bit of covenants let's go there he starts with uh, the covenant so I want you to listen and see which ones you can find my son give ear to my words for I swear unto you that inasmuch as ye shall keep the commandments of God ye shall prosper in the land and I would that ye should do as I have done in remembering the captivity of our fathers, for they were in bondage, and none could deliver them except it was the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, and he surely did deliver them in their afflictions. And now, O my son Helaman, behold, thou art in thy youth, and therefore I beseech of thee that thou wilt hear my words and will learn of me, for I do know that whatsoever shall put their trust in God shall be supported in their trials, and their troubles, and their afflictions, and shall be lifted up at the last day. Then he goes on and bears some of his own testimony, right? And so he immediately goes to his personal testimony, how he knows this beautiful uh, section here, and a very interesting uh, insight. But jump back down to the same idea of being supported in your trial. So he goes through his personal trials, and then this this chiasmus, where it's, you know, you've probably heard about that. But I'm going to go back to 27. It says, and I have been supported under trials and troubles of every kind, yea, in all manner of afflictions, yea, God has delivered me from prison and from bonds and from death, yea, and I do put my trust in him and he will still deliver me. And then you'll see he bounces back out to these other ideas. And I know that he will raise me up in the last day to dwell with him in glory and I will praise him forever for he has brought our fathers out of Egypt and he has swallowed up the Egyptians in the Red Sea, and he has led them by his power into the promised land. Yea, and he has delivered them out of bondage and captivity from time to time. Yea, and he's brought, also brought our fathers out of the land of Jerusalem, and he has also by his everlasting power delivered them out of bondage and captivity from time to time, even down to the present day. And I have always retained in remembrance their captivity, yea, And ye also ought to retain in remembrance, as I have done their captivity. But behold, my son, this is not all. For as ye ought to know, as I do know, that inasmuch as ye shall keep the commandments of God, ye shall prosper in the land. And ye also know that inasmuch as ye will not keep the commandments of God, ye shall be cut off from his presence. Now, this was according to his word. All right. 
So that's the beginning and the end of chapter 36. So he's talking to Helaman, and it, you've probably seen this with the chiasmus. Chiasmus is a, is a Hebrew poetry form where it's uh, kind of like a ladder, and so it, the, the first rung is the same, and the last rung, well, I don't know what it's like, it's like a, a V-shaped poem. So the first and the last are second, the second, the second, last are the second, and it builds up to the very middle, so it kind of builds up, and then it builds back down. And so you saw how it started with, uh, keep the commandments and you'll prosper in the land. And then it talks about captivity and then he goes into his own. And so the whole point is that middle point. Um, and that is definitely, that seems, that seems very obvious that that's here. Pretty cool. Um, and so the point is going to be about uh, Jesus redeeming him. Another point that I want to draw out that, that struck me this time was the use of those three covenants that we've seen, those three main themes of the Book of Mormon. First, this covenant of prospering in the land. Keep the commandments and you're prospering your land. Now, it's like three more times in these next couple chapters uh, to Helaman. So we see it two right here and then one more time. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that's what he starts with? And why do you think that matters? Um, why do you think that matters? I think that there are some really key points that, that the Lord's going to say, hey, you're going to have trials and afflictions. You're going to have things in your countries that are going to be a trial. And in your own personal lives. And he's saying the Lord wants to protect you. He's, he's in charge. He is with you. He is guiding uh, you if you choose to participate with him. Now, there are lots of evils in the world. We know that. And the Lord has given us free will. Yet, he's saying, I've made a, a covenant. I'm promising you that if you keep the commandments, you'll be all right. You'll uh, not only be all right, you'll prosper. So he starts with that. And we see that as this big covenant promise in the Book of Mormon. And to us as well. The second one is this idea of uh, remnant. So in this case, he uses the idea of a remnant, but the one side of the coin being a deliverance that they would be redeemed. So he he calls back the the biggest redemption story right in the Old Testament, which is the Israelites coming out of Egypt, the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea, leaving Egypt, the Passover, um, the single I think oldest in continually uh, memorialized holiday ever, right? Still uh, in practice day 3,500 years later, we're still um, practice the Passover, uh, at least if you're Jewish. So we've kind of converted it to Easter. But this idea of remembering the remnant or remembering that God will deliver you. So the first key is what we have to do, keep the commandments. But also don't forget that he can deliver us. And then the third topic, this atoning Messiah. So in the middle section, the beautiful middle section about his uh, change, his personal repentance story of Alma the Younger, he tells about the atoning Messiah, the three main themes of the Book of Mormon, all captured right here. I think one of the things that we see is why this is so uh, key is because this is what's going to happen not only to him personally and he's going to relate this to Helaman and Shiblon and later Corianton but also to us this is also our story not only personally but in I think our greater societies today all over the world we're seeing that these are the same things that are happening in Christianity we talked about those different uh, antichrists and how they were trying to tear apart the church oh there's no Christ oh there's no uh, religion. There's no anything. Just this, this varying degrees of denial uh, to the holiness and the righteousness of Christ. And now we see that this is what we're going to need more than all. The atoning Messiah, 
covenants and that we need to believe in the deliverance or the redemption of, of, uh, of a remnant that will be saved. So will we be on that side or not? I think that we see that these are going to be keys for us. These are going to be things that we can look at and will really help us in what we're going to be challenged with in our lives. And we might not be challenged with wars in our whole society. And I know some people are going to say, Lord, Lord, it's COVID and it's scary and oh, it's the end times. Maybe, but we definitely know that we're going to have these kinds of personal challenges regardless of what happens in the greater society. So I think these are brilliant, beautiful keys to remind us of what the power of the Book of Mormon is, is that it's not just read it, it's live it and give us some guidance for today. There are a few key points, I think, that are worth talking about in the amazing conversion story of Alma. First, uh, go back to Alma 30 by, uh, 36, about verse 5, and he re reiterates the story of his conversion. Now, this is a beautiful story of conversion, and it is a shockingly uh, dramatic for a story, but I think it, it's some interesting points, right? So first he says how bad that he was, and he actually includes the sons of Messiah. But remember, this story is personal. He doesn't say what happens to them. He doesn't say anything about their point of view. In fact, they're they're kind of an aside in the story, and I love that because it's it reminds me that this is a personal story. We don't get a lot of personal stories in scriptures at quite this level you, you have a handful and they're cherished right there's beautiful stories of conversion of the change that can happen and we see a few of these here so he says i was going about with oh yeah the son's messiah and i was destroying uh the trying to destroy the church of god and god sent his angel to stop us so he doesn't labor the point about their sin he moves right on because the point isn't the sin but the salvation and, and he's, he's talking about the angel, and he says, Behold, he spake unto us as if it were a voice of thunder, and the whole earth did tremble beneath our feet, and as we fell to the earth, for the fear of the Lord came upon us. Um, what's interesting is we often see this in uh, not only our own cultures, but ancient cultures as well, that the idea that God is, is present or manifest in and these big events in nature. And I know we think we're moderns and we say, oh, we don't believe in all that stuff. But the minute we have something happen, uh, a, a some kind of natural disaster, whether it's a typhoon or an earthquake or a plague, we're like, oh, oh, God's involved. So we still see God in these acts. Not, not physically, he is not the pandemic, he is not the earthquake, but we certainly think somehow God controls the world. And so, so when you see these, this voice of thunder and the earth did tremble um, in their culture, uh, not only did this probably happen because the angel ha had great power, but it clearly manifests that this isn't a normal event. Um, and so I love that this, because we're like, oh man, this is this is exactly like we think we're like, oh, it was an earthquake in Utah. Must have been, must have been something important. Uh, so we do the same thing. Um, but there's a big cultural sig significance probably in this experience with uh, Nephites as well. Anyway, going on, he says in verse 8 and 9, Behold, the voice said unto me, Arise, and I arose, and I stood up, and I beheld the angel. So again, we're back to Alma's story. So even though they're the sons of Messiah, and they are also converted by this experience, they, they don't even, they're not even mentioned in this story, in this most dramatic uh, event. And I think it's because he's telling the story of himself, this most personal story that he's certainly rehearsed uh, throughout the years. But he finally is telling us about what happened to him, what happened to him personally. Um, when we face the reality of 
the consequences of our actions and where we stand before God, the con- dire consequences. There's this gap, right? Um, the angel statement appears to be kind of a, uh, a contradiction, right? He says, if thou wilt be destroyed, seek no more to destroy the church of God. It, it, it would be like destroyed if he stopped, uh, unless he stopped persecuting the church. So it's kind of backwards. Um, changing the punctuation, if thou wilt of thyself be destroyed, seek no more to destroy the church of God. And it came to pass that I fell to the earth and I was on the space for three days and three nights and I could not open my mouth and neither had I use of my limbs. And the angels spake more things unto me, which were heard by my brethren, but I did not hear them. For when I heard the words, if thou wilt be destroyed of thyself, seek no more to destroy the church of God. I was struck with such great fear and amazement, lest perhaps I should be destroyed that I fell to the earth and I did hear no more. So this, I love how he says, Ben, he, he said other things, but I, I, at this point, I just I shattered. I just shattered um, from this event. He knew exactly what he was doing. Interesting. You probably saw verse 10, this interesting space of three days and three nights. Uh, we, we get that sign certainly in the book of Jonah. Jonah is one of the oldest books of the Old Testament. So un- undoubtedly, uh, probably in the brass plates that they were taking with them. So they would have known of that sign or... Also, the Lord is using this sign um, for us to say this is a sign of, the, of, of Christ's death, perhaps, um, or something. Sometimes the number three is seen as a godly number. You see it in like three degrees of glory or, or the three members of the Godhead, things like that. But it might be that this is God-induced. This is something um, that brought on by himself, but it's a good thing. So he is out for three days and three nights like a death. So we don't know at this point that the Nephites knew about Christ's resurrection after three days. That doesn't happen until later, but it could be again Jonah or it could just be symbolically he dies and he's resurrected. Um, and so kind of cool there that that sign is there. We certainly should should ring a bell with us like, hmm, interesting here. In Mosiah, Alma notes that he was under the Spirit's influence for two days and two nights. So, um, and you can kind of just see, well, there was this first day. And so don't get trapped if you're like, oh, he said two on this one and three on that one. Don't worry about that. Alma 36, 12 through 15, I was racked with eternal torment, for my soul was harrowed up to the greatest degree and racked with all my sins. Yea, and I did remember my sins and my iniquities for which I was tormented. With pains of hell, yea, I saw that had rebelled against my God, and that I had not kept his holy commandments. Yea, and I had murdered many of his children, or rather led them away into destruction. Yea, and fine, so great had been my iniquities that the very thought of coming into the presence of God did rack my soul with inexpressible horror. And I thought, Oh, I, that I could be banished and I could become extinct, both body and soul, that I might not be brought to stand in the presence of my God to be judged of my deeds. So in this symbolic death, he sees this intense imagery as this intense experience of pain, of the pains of hell. He says the torment. Um, uh, interesting. We usually think of this as, you know, after you die, this is kind of this post-mortal damnation, but it's not supposed to be about the pain, but it's the awakening. It's the, the changes that are wrought in him, the, the clarity that he sees how evil, um, and the things that he had done, he knew what he was doing, but when you're brought face to face with it, uh, it is something he can't, 
uh, walk away from. So he's just tormented. And he's tormented not just for what he had done to others, but how he had rebelled against God. And against what? Not keeping the holy commandments. That, that that's real. You can't just walk away from that stuff, but you have to repent from that stuff. And so I think that um, this pain comes uh, internally. And he says it specifically. He says, it's not just fire and someone's poking his body or something, but I think he says something here. I did remember, verse 13, I did remember all my sins and iniquities. They become so clear and just the pain and anguish of those. In verse 14, he goes back and talks about what else he had done, that he had murdered many of God's children, or rather led them away to destruction. He, d- he doesn't mean... Um, uh, physically murdered them, right? But he had led them away f- from the church. So uh, he does consider, he's is just as criminal. He's kept them out of um, our salvation themselves. So he has some idea that he's played a role in their eternal damnation. And he, it's so, so poetic. He He's trying to describe, it would be better if I just was extinguished, both body and soul, just just if I just was wiped out, annihilated, would be better. That's how terrible this pain and anguish have you ever felt that kind of pain and anguish? Have you ever just been absolutely overwhelmed with something that you had done and certainly brought into remembrance? I hope not. I hope we haven't, but I think we've all felt a little bit of this from our um, our sins. And if we're not, then then we maybe need a little awakening. For three nights, for three days and three nights, I was racked even with the pains of a damned soul. And it came to pass, as I was thus racked, I was harrowed up by the memory of many sins. Behold, I remembered also to have heard my father prophesy unto the people concerning the coming of one Jesus Christ, a son of God, to atone for the sins of the world. So the three days and nights have this dramatic effect, right? That Alma's symbolic death and resurrection of the Messiah, um, we're going to be reminded of that. But in a in a different kind of symbolic sense, his, his remembrance stands for this change, this atonement of the uh, the atoning Messiah again, um, that that the Messiah, he says, I, I thought about it, and then he was going to atone for the sins. Maybe he could atone for mine, and that's what finally releases Alma from these pains of hell. And I love his repentance here. It is, my mind caught hold on I th- of this thought. I cried out, O oh Jesus, thou Son of God, have mercy on me. I'm in the gall of bitterness and I'm circled about by the everlasting chains of death. And now behold, when I thought this, I could remember my pains no more. Yea, I was harrowed up by the memory of my sins no more. As he calls upon the Messiah, he is instantly forgiven. Remember, his pain was, I remembered all of my sins. And now his uh, refreshing is, I could remember them no more. Now, we know that that uh, just calling on Jesus isn't some kind of salvation that, um, but we do see that forgiveness, um, is the beginning of that path towards exaltation. So he experiences Jesus's grace. He experiences that forgiveness and he certainly remembers that he did the sins. He was just telling us about them, but he doesn't feel that harrowing, those circling chains. He, he, he's relieved of that terrible pain. So Alma gets a new start and this is the whole point of the verse. And oh, what joy and what marvelous light did behold. Yea, my soul was filled with joy as exceeding as was my pain. Yea, saying to you, my son, that there could be nothing so exquisite and so bitter as were my pains. Yea, and again, I say unto you, my son, on the other hand, 
There was there can be nothing so exquisite and sweet as was my joy. This parallel, this beauty, this powerful message is how beautiful the joy uh, can be of repentance of this atoning Messiah, the gift uh, that we have given. Now, he moves into this interesting next section that says how we know that he was forgiven. He he uh, sees the vision of uh, Lehi, he sees angels he is uh, issued into God's presence. I love that this doesn't take, um, it takes three terrible, terrible days that seem like forever, I'm sure, to him. But I love that it doesn't take, you know, 10 years or something. <laughs> so sometimes we like to beat ourselves up. But instead, when the repentance come, when true change and we truly turn to Christ, that uh, that he covers those sins and then we're we feel this e- exquisite joy and then he uh, I love the next steps he changes inside but then he the witness we, we can see the fruits of this that he goes out and he changes he wants to go and share he wants to be able to help others so we know that it's a true repentance because he has changed and he wants to share uh, that is the big most beautiful theme of the atoning Messiah and in uh, Alma 36. So I want you to take a minute to go back, reread those sections and see what you can get out of that. Um, Because I think these are those points that I think the Lord is trying to tell us. It's personal revelation. It's personal apostasy that takes us away from the Lord, but it's personal repentance that Christ is there for all of us. All right, scriptorians, take a look back at Alma 36 and then we'll jump on next week. We'll start into the war chapters next Go ahead and read about Shiblon and Coranton on your own. I think you'll see some interesting insights and some more about each of us in the 20-Minute Scriptorian. See you next time.